Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we're talking about the movie Encanto and all the points it raises about mental health and family trauma and how that plays out in this beautiful, wonderful story. And I'm joined today by a special guest, Saren Bryan. Saren is a mental health expert and therapist as well as a huge fan of this movie and all things Disney. So we're really excited to have that conversation. One quick note I'll say is that we will be spoiling things from this movie. But um, as you will know if you've seen the movie, but if you haven't, uh, the movie gets into quite a lot of fairly intense issues of family trauma and how that plays out for different people. And so that's a topic we'll be discussing on this podcast. And so if that's a hard one for you and it's not the right time to listen, of course, always feel free to hit pause and come back later or listen to one of our other episodes. But if you've seen this movie and you want to talk about it or just you want to hear the or you want to hear our thoughts on the mental health uh, questions that this movie brings up and how it addresses them in such beautiful ways, you'll get to hear all that in just one moment after a commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. As I said, I'm joined this week by uh, special guest Saren Bryan. Uh, Saren's been a good friend of mine for a while, someone I have a lot of great conversations with about fan stuff, and I've, I've wanted to get you on, but especially when I saw this and there was just so much mental health and, and family trauma themes, something I know you know quite a lot about, I knew just I, I wanted to get you on. So I'm so good to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's good to be on. I'm glad that we finally were able to make it work. Definitely. Well, let's just start by uh, tell tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and kind of your connection to, to this movie, especially. Yeah. Um, so I am a licensed master social worker in Athens, Georgia. Um, I primarily work with um, people in like non-traditional relationships and also people who have a lot of family trauma, which is pretty much everyone that needs therapy. <laughs> so uh-huh. <laughs> uh, watching Encanto, it was very obvious to me that the people who created it had a strong understanding of family trauma and generational trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, And generational trauma is particularly interesting to me because it's, it's sort of an emerging field of study. Right. And not that I can necessarily speak to this, but it's more common in like ethnic minorities. Mm. We see that a lot more in ethnic minorities. So I, I really appreciated seeing a Colombian, a movie based in Colombia that was so right. knowledgeable of generational trauma. Definitely. And one thing I want to say at the beginning is uh, both of us are white. Uh, there's, a, I think, one of the most important things to talk about with this movie is it as a representation of Colombia and on so many different levels from the, the art, the food, the music, the, <clears throat> the, the representation of the violence, as I know many Colombian writers have talked about it in terms of the, the, the history that the characters are running away from. And, and, Neither you nor I is is kind of equipped to have that conversation, and so we're we're not going to talk about that today. Although it's obviously a big part of what we're uh, kind of overlaying everything we're talking about. There's some great writings that I've been following that have really helped kind of give me some better, uh, perspectives on this that I'm going to link to as part of the show notes. That I definitely recommend people check out. But what I want the reason I wanted to talk about this today, and I've heard some of the the people from the movie itself talk about this as, as well as some of the uh, the authors who commented on it, is that as you said the the specifics of the trauma and the specifics of so much of the movie are very much based in Colombia itself. Mm. The experiences are ones that so many people I think can relate to, you know, and I, I first heard about this movie because uh, I'm plugged into a lot of mental health discussions, both kind of professional and semi-professional, but also just, you know, a lot of friends who share some of the same kind of experiences going, Hey, let me, you know, post a funny meme. And all (laughs) of a sudden, all the memes I saw were about this movie. And it was, you know, 
I don't need a therapist. I just watched this movie a thousand times, or which is not true. To be very clear. <laughs> um, but like, I did hear the joke many times of like, I don't need to do input. Uh, I don't need to do intake. I just ask someone which character do you most identify with, and now I know what your trauma is. You know. Um, so, <laughs> I haven't yeah, so, seen so, that. <clears throat> yeah, uh, you know, it seems fitting in some ways. Sure. So, so yeah. So I think that's kind of where we wanted to start, and and let me actually first start by asking you. What is family systems theory uh, when it comes to therapy? Because I think that's obviously a big, uh, big part of this as well as connected that to generational family trauma. Can you, uh, you know, this is not going to be a psych class or sure. a podcast, but it's helpful to ground our conversation in those terms, I think. So tell us a little bit more about what those mean. Yeah. So family systems theory, I, I will be as brief as possible, um, was created by Bowen. So you, you hear family systems therapy and Bowenian therapy used interchangeably. It's the same thing, really. Uh, who, who was Bowen? So Bowen was a psychiatrist in the early 1900s. I believe he died in 1990. So he lived for a good while. Um, who created family systems theory because everything before that had been a, a, what we call a medical model. So he mm-hmm. wanted a more interpersonal model <clears throat> of understanding human behavior. And he said that you can't understand people in isolation, that everybody is part of a relational unit, whether they want to be or not. Um, so not working to separate these two things, but to understand how people act in their environment is basically you see that. what he was saying. Um, he talks a lot about triangles, which is a big thing, but I won't go into because it's not super relevant. Um, (laughs) he also talked about, and this was a big deal for his, the time that he lived, he talked about the generational transmission of trauma and that Mm. parents will either continue the same dysfunctional patterns that they had, or they'll overcorrect and create different dysfunctional patterns, opposing dysfunctional patterns. Um, and the way you work with that is by changing the system that is perpetuating the pattern, not necessarily changing the pattern itself. Right. And so how do you see that playing out in this movie? And we're going to talk about that for like the next hour or so, but <laughs> on a very general level, like what is it about this movie that connects to that? So what I see, um, and are, are we assuming that people have seen it? Yeah. So uh, we're assuming that people have seen the movie. So um, uh, spoilers, if you have not, uh, it's not kind of a big surprise movie. Yeah. Though there are some big surprising moments, but I think it is a wonderful movie. One I definitely recommend seeing. The songs are very like you know catchy and 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 I think really speak to a lot of people. Mm. So I definitely recommend. If you haven't seen it, hit pause, or if you just want to hear the conversation, we'll try <laughs> and explain enough about what's going on uh, to bring you along. But yeah, go ahead and spoil away. Okay, sweet. <clears throat> so really, what I see in terms of a family systems perspective is it's a matriarchal family, which I love. I'm so here for that. But um, the matriarch is very rigid. And that mm-hmm. term rigid comes up a lot in Bowenian therapy. Um, and that she is so like singularly possessed with keeping the miracle alive and keeping everything at this baseline level of functioning. That she doesn't necessarily seem to care who she hurts or how she hurts people along the way. Right. Because she has sort of this, like, I want to do better for you than was done for me. I want you to have a better mm-hmm. life than I had, which is a beautiful goal. But it it ends up creating this dysfunctional pattern 
um, right. where people are, are driven by this like sense of duty and sense of responsibility to her. Mm-hmm. One thing I got out of it, and I have some mental health training as a former pastor, but, but nothing like what you do. And so tell me if I'm, I'm misunderstanding it. It feels like this is a great example of that kind of family trauma being passed down mm-hmm. because, you know, the grandmother is presented as a very harsh character. And I think in some ways kind of the, the sort of main antagonist in some way. But, it, you know, she experienced this incredibly traumatic mm-hmm. thing herself, you know, of uh, her and her family and all the people she knew were driven mm-hmm. out of their home. They were, they were refugees. And her husband uh, was killed yeah. as part of uh, as part of that. And then it fell to her to kind of raise this, you know, to, to protect this community, to raise her children. And and now what she is, she she in some ways has never gotten a chance to process that trauma. Yeah. And instead. So now. So now what most of the movie is about is how each of the different characters are experiencing that trauma. Yeah. And one thing I thought was really interesting was, you know, Disney movies are fairly formulaic and. This one kind of played with a formula in some mm. ways. Like, it's kind of a princess movie, but um, it's the boy who talks to animals. Yeah, like, I loved that. That was a fun little thing. But one of the things is that often there is an antagonist of some kind. Mm. You know, even if it's something like, you know, the movie uh, Brave, where mostly it's a, ra- a movie about a relationship, mm. there's still the bear. You know, mm. there's the thing out there. In this, it felt like the, 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 the villain, the antagonist, is this trauma. Yeah. And, and, the, the victory over it is when they start to talk to each other, when they start to to break out of their roles. Yeah. Do you think that's an accurate way of seeing this? I think so, yes. Um, the, the villain is the trauma and the hero is communication, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I love. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the topics that comes up all the time is the idea of, of seeing things yeah. and, you know, people feeling unseen or unheard. And I think that's kind of the – it's never exactly stated like this, but it's pretty clear. Like Mirabelle's gift is that she sees things yeah. and that she's willing to put voice to them. Yep. And that once she starts speaking, every, it, it's kind of that avalanche of everyone else wants to speak up about it as well. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. So, so let's talk about first let, – let's start with that kind of the, the, the trauma that she goes through. And I want to talk about kind of these general thoughts and then uh, get into each of the individual characters yeah. or at least many of the individual characters. One of the things that really strikes me is that not only does Abuela wind up like having this feeling of wanting to, to protect the miracle and protect her family, but then this incredible responsibility that goes with it. Yeah. You know, And she starts saying like that – all the town believes in it, and she feels like she has to she has to protect them. Uh, she says at one point that I have to earn the miracle. Um, you know, and she's always teaching everyone else. It is your responsibility to look out for the family, to look out for the town. Talk about that. What what's going on there? Oh, I have so many thoughts about that, um, <laughs> and that is a theme that comes up with my personal clients over and over and over. I always use mm-hmm. the imagery of Atlas. And that, like, Mm -hmm. Atlas was attempting to carry the world on his shoulders. But if you think about the statue, he was stooped over. He could barely lift it, let alone do anything. Right. And that I use that imagery a lot to demonstrate the weight of taking on more responsibility than you can carry. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes a lot of sense for the character of Abuela and bringing it back around to family systems that's sort of what i mean in the terms of overcorrecting mm-hmm. she is overcorrecting way to the other side and creating this system of like we have to earn this 
you know, this was a gift and we need to prove ourselves worthy of it. And we need to be aware of the responsibility that has been bestowed upon us to this town and this community. And all of that is true. But it's, she takes it too far. And then yeah. I, I, I think about that song. Uh, what is it? Surface Pressure? Mm-hmm. Louisa. Louisa's song where she's talking about like, that is a heavy weight. And yeah. that weight that is sort of involuntarily bestowed upon the rest of the family is the trauma. Yeah. And like Louisa in some ways, I think is the most v- clearly obvious representation yeah. of that. You know, I think in her song, uh, I may have watched that video 12 or 15 sure, times sure. right now. Um, you know, we literally see her in that same pose of holding yep. things up while she's stooped over. I was really yeah, thinking I, about that as I was watching it. I was like, wow, mm-hmm. it's my metaphor works. Oh, yeah. <laughs> one of the things I think is great is that what we learn is that each of them is dealing with trauma mm-hmm. in some way. It's just that it manifests in all these different mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. It, and going back to this idea of sort of where that trauma starts, one of the things that I, 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 I was guessing was happening, I'm curious where, how you would see it, mm-hmm is that part of what Abuela is thinking here is that con- is control, mm-hmm. you know, and that, you know, I know for myself as someone who's gone through uh, a lot of trauma, like one of the hardest things is the idea of like for a long time, I looked for a cause. I looked for a reason. <laughs> and even towards like, you know, when I was really not in a mentally healthy space, like, you know, maybe it's cause like God is angry at me and I'm being punished or, you know, the universe hates me or something like that. And I know from talking to many others that those are kind of the, the tricks your brain will play on you. You want or blaming someone else. You want to think that there's some reason for it, and so therefore, if you can have enough control, you can prevent it from happening again. Do you think that it's fair to say that that's kind of some of what Abuela is passing on here? Is that we have to earn the miracle? Because what that means is that if we are good enough, mm. the terrible thing, the trauma, won't happen to us again. Yeah, that is a super common root cause for why people create these sort of rigid structures for themselves. Mm-hmm. Because it means that you have control. It means that, like, at least in this environment, I know what's going to happen and I can control what does or does not happen. Right. Um, and that often comes from, especially as children, experiencing trauma and experiencing violence and experiencing instability. Is mm-hmm. is that overcorrection is rooted in, I need to have control over something. Right. And I, I made a brief reference to what I called the violence. And I mm. want to just say that that's um, – there's a very great article. Uh, there's a very powerful article written by Jose Maria Luna, uh, and it's called – it's in Polygon. It's called Disney's Encanto Isn't Just About Representation. It's an Act of Defiance. Um, and that, that article really informed a lot of my understanding, although some other great ones as well. I'm going to put a post a link to that. In that, um, the writer talks a lot about – the writer is Colombian and talks a lot about how – you know, because Colombia has had a long history of, of various forms of violence and but also of, of therefore refugee uh, situations and things like that, that the he the writer was the one who termed, who used the term the violence, which I understand is used often in that community. But I, again, don't quote me on that. And that's why I'm using it there. Um, but I think you're right. Like one of the most important things is how it's 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 a very specific story about that. But it's also one that I think could be a stand in for so many other kinds of of this kind of family trauma that that often is due to, you know, can be due to economic problems, political problems, social problems, or just, you know, individual tragedy of one kind or another. Um, going very far afield, but have you seen the TV show Haunting of Hill House? Yeah, I love that show. I, I, I That's another one where I feel like the same kind of thing can be applied and that there, 
the trauma is supernatural and and kind of like spooky, but the some extent, but that most of the show is really about how that trauma has been played out, you know, generation to generation. Yeah, that's one reason why I keep coming back to that show is mm-hmm. because it does and to me and I, this isn't about Hill House, but I'll just say one thing and that like I I love when horror especially represents mental health issues because mm-hmm. it's such an apt way to show the experience. Yeah. And it kind of leaves me with the question of like was it supernatural or was it just how it played out? Yeah. Anyway, that's not yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah. Well, and, and kind of here we have a similar thing yeah. in that like the magic is actual literal magic because it's a Disney movie and we want sure. that. But there's also an extent to which it's the metaphor for everything. Yeah. When we get to the ending of the movie, I have some thoughts on that we'll talk about. <laughs> so I think kind of the next level how this plays out is that everyone in the family now is defined by their gift – and and like I, I the first time I watched the Family Madrigal, the opening song, I was kind of like, okay, Disney, you've taken the like, do we need exposition to a whole new level, you know? And, <laughs> and you've done it a song, but you got things like the Grandkid Roundup. This is pure exposition, it, and it was great and fun and beautiful music, beautiful dancing, animated so well. Hmm. But then when I watched it again, one thing I really noticed is every character is introduced solely by their gift we don't know anything about isabella except that she's this perfect princess who can make flowers we don't know anything about louisa except of how strong she is and and the aunt who can control the weather what 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 was your your kind of take on that of like watching this family where they're all identified by this gift and it is both what makes them special but it's also what they can therefore give back to the family yeah, I don't want to I don't want to push it too far out into the rest of the story, but in my viewing of it, I thought it was very telling from the beginning of like okay, you know, it goes back into that like idea of we've been given this gift and now we have to do everything we can to earn it, mm-hmm. which is finding your soul identity and what you can give to others. Right. And it makes it and we're not talking about Bruno yet, but it it makes the character of Bruno particularly tragic to me because mm-hmm. because this family only allows themselves to be defined by their gifts. When your gift doesn't serve in the way that you that everybody around you expects it to, you are utterly useless. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's such a good point and I you know, one thing I I was so struck by is that Basically, all three sisters on that side of the family, Maribel, Louisa, Isabella, Isabel, all get to have the kind of Disney traditional I want song, mm. you know. And, and for each of them, it's about either the lack of gift or yeah. with both Louisa and Isabella, you know, their songs are primarily about how they're reacting to that. Louisa feels like she cannot possibly let the family down. So she has to be this like rock of strength. Isabella basically has the exact same issue it just presents in a very different way where she says like i have to i have to be perfect for the family i have to be the role model even to the point of i will marry a person i don't want to marry for the family uh and to me that was something that really struck me as someone who's both experienced this in my own family and and in in others i've talked to and read about and, and encountered that level of like once the trauma is starting to be passed down to generations 
now you all have a feeling of like, I have to sacrifice to save everyone else. Mm. Yeah. That martyrdom is a big um, theme in generational trauma. Mm -hmm. Sacrificing everything for the good of the group, even though it's not good for the group. It is in a short-sighted way, in a temporary way, perhaps. But yeah, I think you're very right there. And I think the way the way what I took out of the way they played with that theme was this interesting thing of, you know, one of the hardest things about sacrificing is when you're sacrificing for someone else who hasn't asked for it, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I often hear like these talks, you know, someone says like, well, for 20 years I've been making your sandwiches this way and with the crusts cut off because you want that. And the other person goes, no, I I love the crusts. You just didn't, you know. And they realize the breakdown of communication. Part of what I think is both so so tragic but also so incredibly relatable about this family is that each of them thinks they're the only one mm. who is dealing with this you know and like um you know to me the song with isabella and and Mirabelle especially is so beautiful where Mirabelle, she doesn't real she can see that luisa is suffering she doesn't see isabella is suffering because but she doesn't realize in some ways is about what isabella is doing is the exact same thing as luisa yeah that really gets into, to bring it back around to Bowen for a second, he's really big on birth order mm. and the different expectations that are put on different siblings. Um, and I, I, Isabella's the oldest, correct? Yeah, I, I, was, I was wondering if that's where you're going. Like, Louisa, to me, very much has oldest daughter, oldest sibling syndrome, yeah. but she's not the oldest. She's the middle one. Yeah, to me, oh, it makes total sense to me. It's funny. Like, <clears throat> to me, Isabella is the oldest. Mm-hmm. Um, she has oldest child syndrome written all over her. Hmm. Uh, as far as that, like, especially eldest daughter of mm-hmm. those, like, ex- expectations for perfection and expectations to be, like, the golden child. And eldest daughters are, are the martyrs. They're like, let me sacrifice mm-hmm. myself for the good of my family, marrying someone, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's That's got eldest daughter written all over it. And Louisa has middle child written all over her to me and that like, let me silently do my duty and hope that it will be enough for people to notice me. Mm. Um, like, let me not complain. Let me not make a nuisance of myself. But the weight of this responsibility is really heavy. And you're trying to get this recognition, baseline recognition even. Right. Um, which is its <clears throat> own difficult thing. No, no, it's interesting because, yeah, I, I think uh, – but I was talking to my partners and when I pointed out, you know, Isabella is the oldest, we were all surprised because we all read Louisa <laughs> as – I think that's often what people think of as eldest child syndrome. But you're right. It's, it's – once you realize that Isabella is making just as much of a sacrifice just in a very different way. Yeah. I, in, in some ways, I, I love that we get to see each of them connect to Maribel, uh, but I would really have loved to see more interaction between Louisa – and Isabella themselves like do those two resent each other in the same kind of ways because uh, I I imagine that sometimes they could see themselves as like we're each doing our part or they could see themselves as like I'm making the sacrifice but you get to have the fun life because mm. they don't see it in each other mm. that you're hitting on something that I feel like is a deficit in general with this movie and that mm-hmm. I don't feel like I know any of the characters as like three-dimensional people right and it's a Disney it's a kids movie you know I'm not expecting this, like, incredible character development arc. Yeah. But I would have really, for a movie that is so heavily focused on family, 
I really would have liked to see the family interact with each other more. Yeah, I can see that. And that um, when we get to the end of the movie, I definitely have some strong mm. feelings about how the, the grandmother situation gets resolved there. But yeah, I think, I, I mean, I, I kind of feel this way about every movie now, but I kind of feel like this could have been a 10 episode, you know, Disney Netflix series uh, that I don't think know how those two worlds can go together. But maybe it's possible, you know, <laughs> like, um, well, yeah, you get so much more yeah. of, of each of these characters and how they relate to each other. And I especially wanted to see how the like non-magical married in spouses yeah. were, and, and we didn't get much of that at all, which is fine. But like, there's got to be resentment there, right? Oh, yeah. I'm sure. Especially since it, it winds up being very gendered in that, you know, the, the one uh, the one male child of, of the first of the sec- that second generation mm-hmm. of Abuela's children, Bruno, is gone. Mm-hmm. So it's only the two men who've married in, mm-hmm. which I, I don't know if anyone else had this moment, but the, they're introduced in the song as these two men fell in love with the next line being with the family. By which they mean that each of them fell in love with a member of the family. But at first I was like, we have a gay couple? I was, a gay couple I was excited contact? for a second. I was like, yeah. Right? And and there are definitely some queer themes of coding that we'll get to in a bit. Yeah. But, but yeah, what, what do you see as, um, what would you have wanted to see their role be more of? You know, because it, I think that's a very interesting thing is also, is like, what is it like when you're the one who marries into a family mm-hmm. that has this trauma, but mm-hmm. you didn't necessarily grow up with it, but now it's your family and now it's yours? Yeah, there's, um, as a person who has done that, has married into a family that has its own set of deep, long issues, there is both a sense of being perpetually outside from it, Mm -hmm. but being pulled inside, whether you want to be or not, in that, like, this is affecting your partner, which is affecting you. Right. But there's a, there's a sense of, like, you can never really understand. Mm-hmm. You can never really... Because you didn't live it. <clears throat> right. But at the same time, the longer you are in that family and the longer, the more integrated you become in that system, it, it does start to become your trauma as well. Right. So there's this weird, like, push and pull between, like, mm-hmm. This was not my childhood and this was not my history, but now it is my life. Mm-hmm. So I am both part of it and not. I'm both inside of it and outside of it. Yeah. And I like that even though it's very brief, they do give you two different reactions to it. Yes. You know, in that Felix, uh, the uncle, Mirabel's uncle, you know, he he has embraced it. It's his story as much as anyone's. Yeah. And he, to the point where, like, he, you know... Uh, his wife has to keep saying, like, is this my story to tell or yours when they're talking about why we don't talk about Bruno? Mm. Uh, and I think my favorite number in the whole whole movie. Whereas Augustine, uh, I'm not pronouncing his uh, Augustine, uh, uh, forgive me, I'm not pronouncing his names right, I'm sure. <laughs> um, Mirabelle's father, mm-hmm. he's very much more hands off, yeah. you know, and he, he even to the point of telling her, like, you get the sense that he he's, he's just as worried that he's going to break the magic mm. so that when Mirabelle has the same concern, he's the one saying to her, don't tell anyone, everything's fine, let's act like everything's fine. Until later, when things really break down, and he, I thought, very in a great moment, is the one to stand up to Abuela, and she says, you know, why weren't you thinking about my family? And he says, I was thinking about my daughter. Hmm. And, and so do you see those two reactions as kind of, at least somewhat typical, in terms of the one person who's kind of just trying to dive into as much as they can, and the other person is trying to be kind of like as hands-off, and like, this is fragile, I don't want to make a misstep? 
uh, there is no such thing as typical, really, with families. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I can definitely see that as a very reasonable way for something like this to play out. Mm-hmm. Um, It's definitely not unheard of. Uh, yeah. I have nothing else sense. to say on that. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. So, so I think the next kind of big thing I want to get into <clears throat> is this idea of the repression, because it does seem like that one of the things that's that's the the paradox of this whole movie is that the trauma is what has defined everything, but no one wants to talk about it. And then when two different people want to talk about it, first Bruno and then Mirabel, they're ostracized for it. What what's going on there? So much. So it. To me, it goes to the idea of like, this is the status quo. This is the Mm -hmm. box that we have been created, that we have created. It is safe. It is known. It is controlled. And even if it is incredibly maladaptive, at least it's controlled. At least it's familiar. Right. So when anything tries to disrupt that, it is incredibly destabilizing for the entire system. Right. Even though it would be better, it does not feel like it would be better in the moment. Mm-hmm. So that whole idea of we don't talk about Bruno makes... I see that play out all the time. It, maybe in less severe ways, but maybe not, too. Yeah. Um, and that, like, this person was threatening to the very foundation. And that idea of foundation comes in later, and I love that. Threatening to the foundation of our family, threatening to the foundation of our community... It symbolizes big, radical change, and we are not ready for that. Yeah. So we're just going to not talk about it. I, I want to get so much into that whole idea of what he's pointing out and then what yeah. she's pointing out, but but just on a, a larger scale, so much so much of what Abuela says, where she keeps saying, like, why aren't you thinking of the family? And I kind of love that's why where uh, uh, um, Mirabel's father stands back and says, I was, I was thinking about my daughter. To me, it speaks to what you said about the institution, the family itself, the, the system itself, where Abuela is, is often when someone says, I must protect my family, what they mean is each and indiv- each individual person. But here it's like the family has taken on a life of its own to the point where a member of the own family who doesn't fulfill that can get cut away. Several members, I think we've seen. Like right. Bruno is, you're out. Mirabelle yeah. is kind of down that path, too. And things could have very easily played out the same way for her. And I love that you bring up the idea of the family as sort of its own institution, Mm -hmm. because that's something that comes up in family therapy of like, there's always one more client in the room than is Mm. physically in the room. And that client is the system. Right. So it it goes back to this, like, Abuela's got the right idea, kind of. Right. But she's twisting it in this, like, traumatized way. And of course she is. Like this is a mm-hmm. this is a natural human thing to do, but when you put when you forget that the family is made of individuals, that's harmful. Yeah, I think it's a really good way to put it. And so, with that idea of the repression, why is it that it's so destabilizing? Why, what is it that makes a system like this both seem so powerful, but also it seems like so fragile? <laughs> where like just naming some basic truths can be so destructive a good question so if you think of the system as sort of a Mm self-perpetuating thing it has its own rules 
its own truths and its own norms. Right. And it's functioning in this way that for the system works. Maybe not well, mm-hmm. but, you know, all the cogs are in place, like this is how things work, whatever. Um, and I think of it as, especially for a family like this, this sort of like impermeable bubble. Right. Um, so it, when, when a different truth is introduced, it's earth shattering. Yeah. It's, it's not dissimilar from deconstructing religion or, um, questioning sort of like your own fundamental beliefs and truths about the world. It's, it's a similar process. I mean, given how much each of these people has shaped their identity by their reaction to the trauma, yeah. you know, this is a, it's a challenge to that on a fundamental level. Like, who am I? Yes. I'm the strong one. I'm the perfect one. Yes. I'm the. And, and one thing I, I that that I I was really hit by in terms of that, it, it, kind of going back to what you were saying about how if you marry in, on some level you didn't experience the trauma. I think one thing this movie gets so well is that, and I think something like Hill House did as well. There isn't one trauma that everybody experiences in the same way at the same time. Like, trauma is kind of postmodern, you know, in that, like, (laughs) it's this terrible thing happens and I have a trauma with it and my sibling has a trauma with it. My parents or my children have trauma with it. But those are all our own experiences. And the real conflict comes when there's, like, I I think I, I have this in my own family very much so, a sense of, like, if your experience is different than mine, you must be invalidating my experience. Because again, like I don't get to talk about my experience. I don't get validated. No one's going up to Louisa and saying, it is awesome that you do this thing. She's doing this all in silence. And so if Mirabelle or Isabella or someone else gets to have a different experience, like that's challenging to her. Or or actually, especially Isabella, I think really goes through that. Yes. I, I think of all of them, Isabella is the one that gets the brunt of that. And so just going one step further, this is a term that gets tossed around a lot, and I know it's not intentional. And so, do you think that it's fair to say that, like, there's some gaslighting happening here in terms, of, especially like the grandmother to Mirabelle? But this whole just sense of like, we all have this idea that the house is perfect, the the encanto is perfect, the candle is great, the magic is great. We're not going to look at the problems. And so, yeah, when Bruno points things out, he's silenced. He's put away to the side. When Mirabelle points things out, she's kind of again shunt off to the side. I really think it depends on how you define gaslighting. Mm-hmm. And for my personal definition, I tend to think of it as I am invalidating this person's reality and attempting mm-hmm. to convince them of my reality. Right. So on some level, I would agree. But what makes it maybe less overt is that they're... They're not like Abuela doesn't appear to be to me attempting to brainwash Mirabelle into being like, you believe that everything is okay or you're out. It's more of just like, be quiet about it. So it's like gaslighting light. Yeah. It's very much the sweeping everything under the rug kind of reaction. It's like everybody, Abuela knows that something's wrong. Everybody knows that something's wrong. It's just that we're not going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Which, which is, Kind of gaslighting and kind of not. Which, and is that why, I mean, is that why the ending becomes so powerful where 
the 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 way to defeat the enemy to heal is is the begin to talk about it you know and and i think this idea that by maribel like she she says something to louisa and it, it and it causes louisa harm for her to have to think about it but hopefully leads to healing which isabella like they have this conflict and then and then they get to a better place and the, the magic does start to come back for a bit and then i think at the very end that's sort of the idea of the bringing everything out into the open ha- has started at least to bring healing yeah I, it's interesting to me that you said that it brought Louisa harm. Mm. What, how, what are you seeing as the harm that was done? And I think, I mean, the language there is very difficult because I think that it, it's kind of a very double-edged sword because it, 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 to me, Louisa goes through the wily eye coyote. The, Louisa goes through the wily coyote moment of I can keep running until I look down and realize I'm not actually running on anything, and then I fall. You know, and that. Louisa has this very strong but very brittle, very fragile thing happening where once it is pointed out to her that, wait, you don't have to do all this. You don't have to be the strong one. And you need to talk about the fact that you're suffering a lot more than you think. All of a sudden, she starts losing her strength. That, that That's kind of where I was going. Like, yeah. Harm you right is the wrong word, but it's an interesting thing of like on a very basic level, you could say that like – it looks like Louisa comes out worse from her conversation with Maribel. It does. But I think that I would argue, at least from a mental health perspective, that just because it's uncomfortable mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's harmful. Yeah. And as we see, it ended up being the best thing that anyone could have done. Right. Was to bring it out. And that's sort of, I think, such a gorgeous representation of that destabilization that comes with a, a loss of identity or mm-hmm. a, a reframe in identity even. Yeah. And the, the destabilization word seems so much, it seems such a better way of saying it. Yeah. Because it's that like the facade was helpful. In, yeah. in it's a, it, it was a, <clears throat> self-medicating is the wrong term, but it's that idea of like. You're filling in a gap in this problematic way, but it's still you're taking away the thing that's filling in the gap. Yeah. So at first, it's going to be very destabilized. That's sort of why, like working with addiction, is it's worse before it's better for a lot of people mm-hmm. because, like a maladaptive, a maladaptive coping mechanism is still a coping mechanism. Right. It still works. It's just hurting you in the long term. And I think yeah. I think that this example is a really really cool representation of how that looks. Hmm. And so let's, I want to talk about the kind of relationship among those three sisters. And maybe this is a good starting point because it seems like uh, Louisa and Isabella have very different reactions to the sort of breakthrough moments. Louisa, it's destabilizing and things start to fall apart for her. And she is clearly emotionally upset for a lot of the movie because of it. Isabella, it's the opposite. Like, <laughs> Is it? She, it well, I mean, that, that's what I'd ask because it seems like <laughs> she gets this moment of really getting to blossom. I mean, quite literally, you know, and blo- create her own new things and stuff like that. What, what do you see in terms of what Isabella goes through as, as opposed to Louisa? It's so interesting because, like, to me, Louisa skipped a step. She went mm. straight to that pain, which is awesome. Like, that's what I would hope for everybody of just allowing yourself to sort of feel all those like vulnerable, uncomfortable, big emotions that come with this sort of destabilization. But Isabella based, based on her own, how she has internalized this trauma to begin with of like this perfect person Mm -hmm. handled it very differently, but there was uh, underneath all of that, 
there was pain. Yeah. And that had to come out. It, it just took her longer to get there. Right. And at first she was like super angry and super ex- like externalizing her blame onto that. She was like super upset mm-hmm. with Mirabelle. She was super upset with everybody else for ruining the facade. Right. But anger is usually a secondary emotion that is popping up to protect us from more vulnerable emotions. Mm. And I think it did a pretty good job of showing that process of like, she had to feel the anger and let that move through her so that she could feel the pain. That makes sense. Cause I, I guess the way I I was seeing is kind of like drawing this metaphor further, you know, the song that they sing with Mirabelle is kind of their therapy session, Mm. you know, and in in each one, they make a confession. Louisa confesses that she's whole, that, that this pressure is getting to her, the drip, drip, drip. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I think so many people re- re- <laughs> relate so well to that song. And at the end of that, she's in a really hard place. Isabella, during this conversation, you know, during the, the, the song, confesses that she doesn't want this perfect life. She doesn't want to marry this guy. And at the end of it, she's able to use her power in ways that she never had. Yep. But you're right. It's, I think, because she had gone through the anger before that conversation with Maribel. Yep. That was sort of, that was definitely how I was conceptualizing it. Yeah. One of the things also that really struck me about that, and again, here tying it to my own experience, the first time I watched it, I felt like I would 100% identify with Louisa. And Mm. then I I, kind of, on top that I still have some kind of like resentment in some ways towards my sibling in terms of like feeling like the sacrifices that I made to hold up the family were never really acknowledged. And then thinking about it, especially after what happened when I moved away and went to college, and then I, I haven't had a chance to talk to her. I don't know if I will. Uh, we'll see. Um, but, like, I imagine my sister would probably look at Louisa in the same way, you know? And <laughs> and to, to me, it's kind of it, – it, 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 it's – to me, what that gets at is what I think this movie does such a great job of, of showing that I, I would imagine that each of these sisters, they each feel like they're having experience that the others aren't, yeah. you know? And, and, and that – I, I think it makes a lot of sense that probably in our own world, a lot of people could look at this and go, I was the Isabella in our family. And two other people go, no, 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 I was the Isabella in the family. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. it. That is such, the, like, because you both are and you aren't. Like, right. your experience is your experience, and nobody can invalidate that. Um, so maybe everybody really did feel like the Isabella. Right. But from the outside perspective... Like, your perspective of your family and your siblings also matters. So right. if you're seeing more of Louisa and your sister, then that's just as valid. It's it's kind of like Schrodinger's family. Like, it both is and it isn't. Yeah. Well, and, and that also kind of gets to what you were talking about in that, on the one hand, it's brilliant that this movie can represent so many different reactions to trauma. But on the other hand, it's painting in very broad strokes. Very you know? broad. And, like, each character is literally, like, one line of the reaction to trauma when in actuality like the louisa character would have so much more depth yeah. the isabella character would have so much more depth but instead it's the one character responds to trauma by having to be the strong one one character responds to etc but also what so, a lovely way to introduce this concept to children yeah and on that on that perspective i don't mind that it's broad strokes mm-hmm. because my five-year-old kid may get this concept early and it yeah. may make sense to her in a way that is very buildable in the future. Right. So I have no problem with a Disney movie painting broad strokes about <laughs> trauma. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. 
And like, even where uh, we're going to get into the individual characters in a second, but I want to bring up the one thing that felt like an odd, an off note to me, mm. but I think it's because it's a Disney movie. You kind of need this. It felt like one of the things that they really got at was the idea of the magic, the encanto, the healing was probably very much what the grandmother needed and thus the whole family needed, but now was getting in the way. You know, it was, it was stopping them from moving forward. And uh, a friend of mine wrote in and, and pointed out something I missed, which was that as long as the Encanto was there, Abuela could never go and visit the river, the, literally the, the grave where her husband, their grandfather, had died. And so she was kind of denied that, that element of closure and of healing. And, and so to me, there was a real power in the house is gone, the magic is gone, now the townspeople are going to come and rebuild with you, mm. which also dramatically flips the relationship there of you don't have to take care of them. And then at the end, the magic came back. Mm -hmm. And I was just so annoyed in that moment. Um, it felt like it was undoing everything the movie had said. And I, the more I think about it, the movie, it's Disney and the house is really fun and you want to enchant it and you want to have the great animations and you want to sell some more toys of the house. Yeah. So, of course, but... What did you what did you feel about that moment of the, the magic coming back? I was so irritated is the right okay. word. I, the we, we were very much on the same page with that. I was like, wasn't the whole point, the whole point to, to realize that you that this magic is kind of getting in the way more than it is helping and that you right. can grow as a family and you can grow as a community without the assistance of this magic? That we've now we're gonna start like rebuilding our identities as people rather than just our gifts, and I was so happy about that. And then it was like, you blew it. Yeah, <laughs> you blew so, it, Disney. Well, not the perfect movie, but but still pretty darn no, good. No, it was great. I really did love it. And I mean, despite my irritation, I was like sobbing through the credits. So oh yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I, like I said, I put together a little therapy playlist. Because yeah. To me, it's Luisa and Bruno, but I think so many of these characters speak to, to so many folks. I had a moment I, while I was watching this movie. I was like, I do not like that Bruno is the character that I am identifying with the most. Yeah. <laughs> that feels well, not great. <laughs> well, let's start there, because I want to talk about like individual characters. What What is it about Bruno that you really connected with? Oh, gosh. There's a line that he says that when he's talking to um, Mirabelle saying, my gifts didn't help the family. So they just right. pushed me aside. And that line really resonated with me as someone who professionally does something that my family does not agree with on like a moral or ethical or spiritual level. Mm. So it's their pride ran out in many ways. So it's yeah. like you could argue that Bruno is really providing like a good service if people would see it for what it is. Mm -hmm. um, but because it's like this kind of taboo niche kind of, he says like, I'm not creepy. Why do people think I'm creepy? Right. Um, he's really yeah. like ostracized. And I, I felt that. There's a very like, don't shoot the messenger thing, yeah. you know, like, and especially even with the townspeople, like, he didn't cause the goldfish no. to die. You know, it died. He didn't cause someone to get fat. Right. Like, he's just pointing out, but it's that like people don't want to think about the yeah. consequences of their actions or the thing or think about the fact that random chance might come yeah. to them. And I, I felt that too as a therapist of it's it's mm. part of my job to point out difficult truths to people. 
Yeah. And it's so frustrating when a client quits or stops coming after a, a difficult truth has been pointed out because it's like, you asked for this. You're yeah. paying for this. And I, I felt that for Bruno of like, they asked him and then shunned yeah. him when they got the answer. Yeah. That sucks. And, and it's so funny too, because with all that, I actually also related to the story and this is maybe a more superficial level, but it also really hit me hard, which is the degree to which when someone in a family is mentally ill, mm. you don't talk mm-hmm. about it. Um, I know I definitely went through a lot of mental illness and a lot of trauma with a family. Mm. And now like, now there's kind of a sense, like with a lot of my extended family, there's a, there's a tension of like, well, I'm back, but we're never going to talk about what happened. Mm-hmm. We're never going to, and, and certainly heard from others, like when I was estranged from the family, you know, didn't get talked about. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard many others who talk about that. But at some later point, I realized that there had been another f- member of my family, a, a couple of genera- a generation or two back, who had had a lot of the same mental issues that I have, and it had manifested in the same way of like the, that she was pointing out things in the family that no one liked. <laughs> I just knew that my cousin like didn't want to talk to people, and so we never spoke about her, and we were never supposed to ask about her, and we were never. And it broke my heart when I realized like if I had known someone else in the family. Maybe because of my genetics or maybe because of, you know, similar situations had some of the same mental struggles I did. Like how healing that would have been. But because you never talk about it, like that whole song just felt like such a great description of the shame that so often goes along with mental illness and thus the the silencing of it. Yeah. Beautifully put. So who's the next character you want to jump into? Let's see. Let's talk about Abuela. Let's talk about Abuela. Yeah. What? Because I think it's easy to see her as the villain, and you know, as you said, she she's the one who has dealt with all this trauma and is now taking it out on everyone in some really harsh ways, and she's causing a lot of toxicity. Um, and I kind of feel like you get to the end of the movie, and and on the one hand, you could say the movie wants to forgive her and say, well, she went through all this trauma, so everything is okay. We're all sorry. I know a lot of people who are like, no, she's toxic and terrible. Let the whole family move on without her. What? I'm guessing you don't see it as one of those two no, poles. No, I don't. Um, um, I, one thing I love about Abuela as a character is it's it's very gray. She's a very gray antagonist mm-hmm. in that um, we have an explanation as to why her behavior is what it is, but... A phrase that I say over and over to people is it's an explanation, but not an excuse. Yeah. And that, like, we can completely understand why she has overcorrected and made the system as rigid as she has. It makes sense. It doesn't excuse the harm that was done. Right. But the sense that I got is that Abuela is willing to move out of that rigidity. Yeah. And so there is forgiveness to be had there, I think. It doesn't mean that she should be shunned in the way Bruno was shunned. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not a solution. There can yeah. be boundaries. That's not the same thing as boundaries. And I do think that whole family could really benefit from boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think maybe it's... Maybe not all living under the same roof. Maybe get your own houses. <laughs> Whatever, that's not what we're talking about. But um, <laughs> I, I do think it's a lot more nuanced than saying, like, she's toxic, cut her out. Right. Or saying, like, oh, you're forgiven. Like, everything's fine now. 
it, there's there's a lot to be had in between. Yeah, and in some ways, I think again, this is the limitations of a single movie. Mm. I feel like the movie ends not with forgiveness, like what it should end with is not forgiveness, but of like we are now going to begin the process of mm. moving towards that, mm-hmm. you know. And again, you can't tie that up with a nice little bow. It, have you you've seen Avatar: The Last Airbender? Oh right? yeah. One of the reasons, and I hear a lot of people talk about this, that I love that story so much, is that Zuko has suffered an incredible amount of tragedy and then turns incredibly toxic and does so much harm. Yeah, I mean, I think every therapist loves his story so I much. I love his arc! He, he, then, he then realizes the harm he's done. Yeah. He wants to change, and he shows up and says, Hello, Zuko here. Mm-hmm. And it's not immediate. It then takes another full season of healing and of time and of rebuilding trust and i think part of why i love that story so much shira does a similar thing Mm. is that it's the opposite of what happens here we're here and again i get it why because it's a movie but the idea is we've had one breakthrough conversation now everything's great everything's fine and i i'm sure you've dealt this with clients i know i've dealt with it myself a lot when i'm talking to a friend and it's like they're like oh yeah i figured it all out everything's better now (laughs) no you identified the problem there's still a lot of work to do and identifying the problem is a huge step like that shouldn't be discounted right but that is step one step zero really Mm -hmm. of like okay you've identified that there is a problem which is good but that is zero percent of the work right for sure um, let's talk about Mirabelle because mm. it's funny that she's the the central character, and I think there's so much growth to her. But mm. in some ways, she's kind of also the like she's the therapist. She's the mm. one who everyone else has their therapy moment by talking to her, mm. which is also another role in the family of like my pain doesn't matter. I'm here to help everyone else with their pain. <laughs> what do you see in her character? It's Mirabelle for some reason is a hard character for me to talk to. Or talk about, Mm. not talk to. Because I didn't feel like there was a lot to her. She seemed sort of like a... mm, This is not going to be popular. She felt sort of like a (laughs) plot plot device to me. Mm -hmm. And that everybody else is using her presence and her gift, we'll say to get to their own kind of self-actualization and she's just kind of along for the ride like she was the um catalyst for it and that she saw the cracks in the house and she brought everybody's attention to it but beyond that she sort of had this sense to me of she's she's pulling everybody along on their journeys and not so much her own yeah but Again, unpopular opinion. And I did like her character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I get some of that. Like, I, I do think there's something... I think we get a lot of her character in terms of, like, the person who, like I said, kind of feels like it's their job to take care of everyone else. But also just the sense of, like, everyone else is more special than me. Yeah. And, like, you know, the... um. You know, the, the, if you're in a family where people are very creative and you're not the creative one or very athletic and not the athletic one... But I think the first half of the movie is very much about her character growth. But then, yeah, she becomes more of the – and maybe this is the part because she's supposed to be the one who everyone, especially young young kids, young girls, young kids of all generations can relate to. Mm-hmm. That, therefore, she's kind of supposed to be a little bit more the blank slate. But remember, we get to the end of the movie and the first thing my partner Mary says was, wait a minute, but did Mirabelle get her own room yet? 
<laughs> you know, because like we don't. She gets the doorknob, so yes. I think she does. But it's the doorknob to the front house. Is she still living in the nursery? Does she get her own magic room? And I remember having thinking as I was watching it again last night. You know, they they kind of talk about the candle as though the candle has some a plan. You know, and mm. that like. Maribel's gift is that by not giving her the gift, she's the one who can see everything. And so she's like, she gives so much to the family by exposing these cracks and mm. talking about them. So does that mean the candle thought we're going to have to have this kid go through eight, ten incredibly traumatic years of not thinking she's special so that they ha- that's kind of crummy. It kind of sucks. Like, <laughs> like I, I really do not love the idea. I don't love that it's ambiguous of if did she mm-hmm. get her own room? Like if we're going to yeah. bring the magic back, which I already we've already discussed is kind of a kind of a miss. Did she at least get like a, a cool gift room? Yeah. I don't know. Like And that is a it it sort of reeks of like Harry Potter syndrome to me of like we're going to put all of the responsibility of this on a child. Yeah. But not tell them how to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And just yeah. sort of be like, figure it out, kid. And I do love that moment where she has the very Disney princess moment of like, I will go save things. And she's about to go do the Disney princess thing and then immediately goes, wait, I don't know how to do yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. I know? did and love like, that. The, the toucan, which we, it was actually announced that the toucan was being voiced by Alan tu- uh, Tunix, which I think was kind of intentional to make us think the toucan was going to become her talking pal. Uh-huh. Nope. nope. Flies away immediately. <laughs> the one thing I really loved that they did with her later is, because again, this is it, it's subverting such an important trope. Bruno's first interpretation of the, of the vision is you have to go embrace Isabella. Yeah. You have to, and, and like, to some extent it's true of you have to make a connection with Isabella so that Isabella can connect with you and, and, and name her own trauma because she's not the awful person you think she is. But also kind of like, you know, Abuela, knowing what Mirabel, knowing what um, Isabella was doing doesn't justify. It, 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 like you said, it explains. It doesn't excuse the way she's been treating Mirabel. And I remember at first thinking, is Disney really telling us that you have to go hug your bully to make them better? I don't like that. And I love that instead it's that they don't hug. It's that it's when... Isabella says you have to apologize and Mirabelle eventually can't, that's when the breakthrough happened. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that that's a good way of subverting this idea yes. of go love your bully until they love you back. Yeah. Uh, it's so funny that you bring that up. I was texting a friend while I was watching the movie for the first time. I was like, are you telling me that she's going to have to go hug her sister when her sister is the one who needs to apologize? Yeah. And my friend was like, just watch. And I was like, okay, but... <laughs> yeah but i did i did i agree with you i like the way it was handled mm-hmm. i still there's something in me that it's like a tickle of like i don't love that sort of the 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 catalyst responsibility was all on mirabelle yeah and that's sort of what i mean of like it shouldn't have mm-hmm. been mirabelle's responsibility to let all of these people know that they did bad. Yeah. And it's a movie. The plot has to move forward somehow. Yeah. And nobody wants to sit and watch a recreation of like a family therapy session. 
I mean, I do, but well, I also uh, want to so watch Tony and Cap sit and have a bureaucratic discussion about how to handle the Sokovia Accords. So, you know, same. what we want is not what everybody else wants. <laughs> right. Um, so, but just from a personal perspective, of like, I was like, this family needs needs more self-awareness. Yeah. And I think that can often be the truth. Yeah. I, it, like, I don't, this is one of the... I think the Disney writers knew this, even if maybe I wish they'd made it a little more explicit... It's a dynamic, I know, that can happen many times is that when one person in the family cracks and becomes sort of the central point of, you know, like when one person in the family like has a breakdown and becomes kind of the center point, like one thing that can sometimes be said is like, oh, it's so good that, you know, we're so lucky to have had you and and like this trauma made you stronger and let you heal all of us. And it's like, no, don't don't try to justify the trauma you put someone through because now it gives them like, Mirabelle doesn't have this because she had trauma. She's also a very insightful person who's brave enough to give voice to what she's insightful of. But don't make this as a justification of the way everybody treated yep. her. And I I felt like all individual members of the family owed Mirabelle a bigger apology than she got. Mm-hmm. I wanted there to be more fanfare around that. Yeah. But maybe that's my own projection. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair that's fair <laughs> I mean, certainly what i would have loved to see a lot more of is the conflict between abuela and mirabel's parents because mm-hmm. like you know mirabel's parents they at least seem to understand how hard this was to her you know and like her mother goes to her and says like you know i know that antonio's um you know gift ceremony is gonna be hard for yeah. you and her father eventually stands up for her yeah. and all this stuff and i would have loved to see more of that but again you know 90 minutes of a disney movie I do, that is one thing we were talking about, the, like, non-magical family members. Mm-hmm. I do also think it was a little bit of a miss for Mirabelle's father not to be more of a, like, very special relationship. And that, like, yeah. if anyone gets what she is going through, it should be him. Yeah. And the fact that he was even hesitant to stand up with her for her and was siding with the big F family... Mm-hmm. That was odd to me, because it it really seemed like no one was on Mirabelle's team, and yeah. if anyone should have been, it should have been her dad. I think it was. It felt odd to me, but it also felt very believable. Uh, it yeah. felt like he is afraid of being the standout one, mm. and so in some way, you know, it. There's an old thing, an old thing, but there's a thing I know that gets talked about a lot in mental health, but also just you know in casual conversation about like. If someone wanted to do something but they were afraid to, when they see someone else do it, there's often a need to tear that person down. Mm-hmm. You know, like, well, I'm not allowed to act out in these ways, so you must be wrong to do it. And that's where a lot of, like, slut shaming yeah. comes from or, like, you know, all kinds of, like um, – I know they did some great studies on how, like, a lot of the people who are the most – opposed to the, their children's divorces were people who like were in themselves very unhappy marriages but felt like they couldn't sure and, and i guess that's a little bit what i got from the father like not that it's a good thing mm. but that he 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 thought there was a thing he could never do because he was afraid of it and so he saw is it uh, he saw maribel doing it and wanted to protect her but then that's why he stands up to the grandmother when she does do it. Right. And, and yeah, I, I wish we'd gotten more of, I wish I'd seen more of that, not just a toss away line. Yeah. Well, I, I'm enjoying your perspective on it because I, had, I had this sort of persp- frustrated moment with it, yeah. but I, 
I like what you're I mean, saying. I think it's about super it. frustrating. Yeah. I think he's still super. Like, I hate that he doesn't stand up for her at first, you know? Yeah, but I, I like what you're saying about it. It just makes more sense. It puts it in a different context for me. Yeah. Uh, there's so many of these other characters we can go into. I want to do a quick hit on uh, Peppa, the, the aunt. Mm. To me, like, I don't want to say she's supposed to be less of like a stand-in for a bipolar character by any means. I mean, that's such a more complicated thing. But it did feel like a lot of times in families, there's one person who is much more emotional than everyone else. And so managing that person's emotions because of how it's going to affect everyone else becomes a, a thing the whole family's invested in. Mm. Did I, Her character's barely on screen as much, so I might be stretching here a little bit. But do you think that's, that there's a connection there? Yeah. <laughs> and it, mm, I hadn't even really thought about it, but it like when they're all sitting at the dinner table when Isabel's Isabella's almost fiance's family is there mm -hmm. and they're they're looking at Peppa 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 I think Peppa. her parents yeah they're looking at Peppa and they're like stop it like get it yeah. under control stop making it rain you're embarrassing us versus saying to her she is obviously having a moment Maybe let's make space for that somewhere. Right. Maybe not right here, but somewhere. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. Everything about like sort of the, the thing with Bruno and ruining the wedding, you know, is all tied into that. He said something that flooded her brain and, and got her upset. Yeah. And I think you're right. It's that she blames others, but it's because no one in the family makes space for her to have different moods and different perspectives. Yeah. And that's a. Uh, perhaps another maladaptive subsystem that has been created and that nobody has space to feel anything, mm -hmm. which is never a good environment for growth. Yeah. And, and so her mother, I just like mm. my mother could always heal me with food. I think it's such a, it's such a beautiful metaphor mm. thing. Um, Louisa and Isabella though, we've talked about them a lot, but let's go in a little bit more depth with them, mm. especially Louisa, because I love that we get a character who is, like, she is the strong one. She's presented as very, butch is the wrong word, because she still wears skirts and long yeah. hair, and but she's the strong one. Yeah. Um, what, what's your take on her, her her presentation and the way her character is written? I'm all about it. I mm -hmm. love any sort of representation or any sort of, like, idea of subverting gender mm -hmm. and playing around with these like traditionally masculine traits yeah. of strength and being a rock and all of these things. The strong, silent type. Strong, silent type. Masculine idea, yeah. But while also still displaying very stereotypically feminine qualities of wearing dresses and mm -hmm. she did things with her hair and um, we find that she is this very deeply feeling person. I, I was all about it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that character. And I there's one moment that stood out to me a lot. Um, and I, and I, I saw a couple other people writing about this as well, so I don't feel like I'm totally, yeah. you know, focusing on a, a wacky thing. But there's a moment early in her song where she is explaining, like, all the strength that she carries. Mm. And she does a kind of, like, dance move things of, like, shifting her hips to the left mm. and shifting her hips to the right in a very kind of, like, feminine uh, dancey thing. But does it to smash the two boulders? Yeah, right. And I was like, okay, well, first of all, a whole bunch of like six to ten year olds just had something imprinted on their emerging attraction and sexuality. 
that they're going to be talking about a lot in 20 years. But oh, my just God. Like, it was just such a powerful yeah. thing of like her, like of the, you know, the it, it wasn't like the strength and her butchness opposed to her femininity. Yeah. It was, she gets to be this complex character yeah. and she gets to cry. Yeah. She cries a lot. She sobs when everything falls apart for her. Yeah. I just, I I just love, love that richness to her. I love that nuance and that complexity. I, I hadn't noticed that moment where she swings her hips and breaks the rocks, but now I kind of want to go back uh-huh. and watch it because uh-huh. that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's like early in the first verse okay. of her song, which you can find the video of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the fact that <laughs> children's sexual awakening will be continued with Disney movies. You know, <laughs> how many people was it the fox from Robin Hood? How many people was it, Um, you know, the mom from The Incredibles? Like, <laughs> there's just a lot of this. <laughs> definitely a thing mine was meg from hercules yep yep i can see that yep. <laughs> i can definitely see that awful lot of legs showing in her dance so much leg um and, and so isabella i think we've talked mm-hmm. about her a good deal but i kind of want to just circle back mm-hmm. to her what what do you see in her character because i think again she's portrayed as kind of a junior antagonist to abuela mm-hmm. but also then gets to have this wonderful like breakthrough moment and and her and mirabelle like literally when like like they're, they're giving each other a high five yeah. if they set up her fiance her almost fiance with her sister right which, by the way maybe a rebound like maybe take a few minutes to pause but it's disney you gotta have a happy romance it's fine. somewhere it, that's um, the musical moment you know at least she says not so fast when he yeah. says let's get married right. but um but yeah what, what else you see in isabella's character we haven't talked about i don't know that i've seen anything in particular that we haven't already touched on other than to me, she is just such a, such an interesting representation of the caricature of an eldest daughter. Mm-hmm. But she brings in her own nuance to it in that like, she definitely enjoys the spotlight and mm-hmm. enjoys the attention. And even though she does talk about later, like, I didn't really want this, it, it brings in the complexity of like, I didn't want this, but there are things about it that I enjoyed. Um, so right. yes, there is the her own version of surface pressure and mm. saying like, I did not ask for these responsibilities, but I like right. the things that I get because I uphold them. Yeah. Um, and we see her react when Abuela is disappointed in her, even though Isabella is like trying to live her best life. There, There's a moment of grief of like i'm sorry that i'm not living up to your old expectations of me right she says at one point i've been stuck being perfect my whole entire life and i I love the way you say that because i I think it's easy to see oh both her and her sisters each have it equally hard because they each think the other one has it better and i remember an article that uh someone who had had been a model for a long time wrote about this concept of pretty privilege Mm. and and she was saying was look i i want to be honest like the fact that I am this attractive means that people treat me in certain ways that are not good. And I, I got sucked into this culture of being this beautiful person and being this model and getting all this attention that was incredibly damaging to me. And I want people to know that and understand that, know that this is somewhat like getting swept up in all these pressures that I felt I had to respond to. But I'm never going to claim that what I go through is what happens, like the way people can treat people who are not conventionally attractive, right. you know, or things like that. And and to me, I think Isabella's a, I love the way you put it. And that's what made me think of that article of like, 
it's not Isabella does have it better mm. in a lot of ways, certainly than Maribel, maybe than Louisa. Mm. But that also doesn't mean that she has it perfect and yeah. that, that there is a lot of stress and tension she has to deal with. Yeah. You're talking about pretty privilege reminds me of that episode of 30 Rock where Liz dates the doctor who's just can't even like function in his life because everybody's mm-hmm. just given, been giving him everything he wants because he's attractive. It's the same thing. Right. Yeah. Um, I, kind of, I can see that. I can see that. Uh, so kind of last thing I want to talk about just because um, – like the representation in this movie is so important. Representation of different mental illness stuff, the um, the the way that um, the Colombian aspects of it mm-hmm. that that you and I are going to stay away, or that you and I are not going to dive into. It's not our, our lanes, but there's such great writing about. I'm going to post a couple more uh, articles on the show notes. But you know, queer representation. I think there's a lot of queer coding in this movie, and I I just want to bring it up not because it's like oh hey look there's a queer thing let me tack this on. But because so often family trauma, especially in family silence, is around, you know, someone being a, a gender or a, a sexuality that the rest of the family is having trouble accepting or adjusting to. And often it's that like we just don't talk. I mean, this this is a person I've never met, uh, but my mother told me about how there was a cousin who she really liked growing up, but then no one talked about for 50 years until she found out that he was gay. And that's why he had just been like cut out of the family. So, so that I think that's the connection with the mental health side of things. What was the queer coding you saw in this movie, and why do you think it's important? I saw it for Bruno, um, yeah. just in exactly what you're talking about of like the family secret, um, yeah. the shameful family secret, and we've talked about that in different aspects. But that is that is the story of so many queer people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we saw it more overtly for Louisa in some ways mm-hmm. of really playing around with. At least, like, binary gender representation. Right. If not sexuality so much. I, I was thinking that I felt like with both Louisa and Isabella, each of them had something that could easily be read as they are not straight cis. Mm. You know, for Louisa, it was that, yeah, she has this much more kind of like, she's the strong one. She's the silent one. She does all the physical strength things. For Isabella, it's the, I don't want to marry this man, mm. which a million fanfic writers then took to mean I don't want to marry a man. Yeah. Which I think it can be a very good stand-in for. I kind of love, I think if they put those two traits together in the same person, then you'd immediately be like, oh, this is a queer stand-in character, which could be awesome. I kind of love that they they separated those Mm. two. Because I think then, to me, there's room for, I think it's perfectly possible Isabella isn't attracted to guys. and, And I think it's also perfectly possible she's just not into this one person. Sure. I think it's perfectly possible that Louisa is maybe trans on some level. Mm-hmm. I think it's also perfectly possible that she is very happy being a woman, but a woman who can kick ass. Sure. And and yeah, I I love that those two. And and honestly, I hadn't connected it to to uh, Bruno at all. But once you said that, I was like, oh yeah, no, that one especially true is is so there. Yeah, maybe not necessarily. I I think his sexuality and his gender is not necessarily the thing that is coded. But his right. story and the way his yeah. family interacts with him, I think, would really, really resonate with a lot of queer people. Yeah, I think it's certainly very true. Very, very true. So I think it's probably a good place for wrapping it up. Again, there's so much more we could talk about. But is there <laughs> any other kind of last comments or questions or, or, or moments in the movie you wanted to bring up? Really, my only final thought is that I think as a therapist, this is a movie that I'm going to end up bringing up a lot in mm. my sessions it's it's going to be this one and inside out for me 
Inside Out was also so good. I use it all the time with my clients. And yes, it has flaws. And yes, it's not maybe a perfect representation, but it's, it's such a digestible way to think about family systems. Yeah. And I, I feel very grateful for that. And I feel very grateful that it, that it exists. Yeah. And I love hearing that because I know I've seen a lot of memes and, and comments from friends of mine saying, I need my therapist to see this movie because I am Louisa or I am Mirabelle or I am Bruno. And, and so I, I feel like, you know, I think it's a great thing when people can say, hey, here's a way to better understand where I'm coming from. I really identify with this song. Let's talk about that. And I just love hearing it from the therapist <laughs> side as well, that there's a sense of like that, that it goes both ways. Yeah. So I think sometimes it can feel like you have this fancy degree. I'm paying you all this money. Why am I talking to you about a Disney movie? But yeah, I think it, it can. I, I really love that they say that this movie can help people find themselves and find where they fit in these systems and families and things like that. That's why art exists to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that yeah. you can find yourself in it and understand yourself more. Yeah. Uh, that's a great place to win. So, well, thank you so much. Um, Saren, often this is where I'd say like, hey, promote your own stuff. But um, <laughs> I know you're not doing anything at the moment, but you did do a podcast for a while. Um, is that still available that people can find? And if so, tell us about oh it. Oh my gosh, it is still available on YouTube. There, we didn't make that many episodes, but if you like Disney and if you like Marvel... Uh, and if you like Parks and Rec, then it would be the thing for you. It's called the TLDR podcast. We're the one okay. with the yellow logo, like the yellow and blue logo. Mm-hmm. So if you like nerdy stuff, nice. <laughs> so it's the TLDR, as though like as if the too long didn't read. Yes. Awesome. Uh, and I'll post a link to that also in the show notes so that people can find that on wherever you post podcasts. Okay, well, sweet. Stan, thank you so much. This was so much fun to our listeners. Um. I'm sure this, un- you know, there's so much here we unpacked. I would love to hear from you. Uh, what did you love about the movie? What didn't you love? What's the character of the song that you identified with? What's the thing that we maybe missed or didn't talk about here? Um, particularly, you know, uh, Sarah and I are both coming from white American contexts. There's a lot of other ways to see this movie. I'd love for if folks out there are coming to this from a Colombian perspective or a Latinx perspective or really just any other background or culture and see it differently. Love to hear those thoughts, too. Uh, if you go to theethicalpanda.com, there you'll find all our contact information, Facebook, Twitter. You can also email us directly if you don't want to say anything in public. At, at Email us at theethicalpanda at gmail.com uh, or Matthew at, the ethical panda, Matthew at theethicalpanda.com. Either one of those will work. Uh, of course, please check out my other podcasts on the Star Wars Universe podcast. We're doing uh, episode-by-episode coverage of uh, The Book of Boba Fett. Uh, which has been coming out. We're having a lot of fun with that. Uh, a lot of other great things are going to be coming on this. The, the We will finally get to those last two episodes of The Witcher, I promise. A lot of things happen around the holidays and people getting sick and stuff like that, but we haven't forgotten. Check out all that. Check out all the great content on the uh, Stranded Panda Podcast Network. And most importantly, have a great day. <laughs>